Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. You're New York Sports Talk. I'm a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. As is tradition on this podcast, we're going to recap week one of the NFL season with Joe Dalizia, the host of the Sharp Chatter Podcast. We're going to dive into all the headlines, all the big storylines, some stuff to look forward to for week two with Joe in just a bit. We're also going to do our week two NFL picks and show me the money. I'm joined by Bucks fan Charlie Borges. I went 2-1 and one in week one of the season. We'll try and go for that perfect 3-0 in week number two. At the end of this podcast, stay tuned there for our pop culture segment. We're going to do a pop culture upfront, basically. And we join our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose. We'll look ahead to some stuff we're covering on the podcast in pop culture this fall. Got some interesting items we're going to be looking at. Keeping an eye out for that at the end of the podcast. But I got to start with the Jets and their epic disaster in week number one, right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip. With the Jets, and let's be honest, if you came into this year and you thought the Jets were going to be a good football team, I don't know what you were smoking. The Jets, we knew going in, they might not be great. They traded Wall Adams away, let Robbie Anderson walk, they had CJ Mosley opt out, that's a lot of talent off the team already, not a lot of good stuff there. You figure, okay, you know what, maybe you build off the momentum of last year, maybe you can be respectable. But what you saw on Sunday in Buffalo against the Bills was an absolute disgrace. The Jets lose this game 27-17, but you know what? They could have lost this game by 30 points easily. Easily. Buffalo gave the Jets plenty of chance to get back to this game. Josh Allen, I'm sick of the Josh Allen parade. I hope Josh Allen is the greatest thing ever since sliced bread. Josh Allen fumbled twice in this game on two very bad plays. He overthrew receiver wide open in the end zone by about 10 feet. And he missed guys on plenty of opportunities. The Bills missed a couple of field goals. The Jets could not take advantage of any of those opportunities. And this is not a slam on Marcus Mayer, Bless Austin, who both played very well in this game, or the punter, Brayden Mann, who did pretty well. Aside from those guys, nothing to like here. Quinton Williams, last year's first-round pick, completely invisible again. And I'm already starting to get the sense that we're going to start seeing soon about, oh, he's making hidden plays. He's disrupting the game. We just don't see it on the stat sheet. We heard that about Lennon Williams for years. And we're going to, soon, we're going to start hearing this excuse how Quentin Williams is doing all these hidden things we can't see. If you watch the coach's film, he's doing all this stuff. I don't want to see the coach's film. I want to see him actually making plays on the field. That's number one. The offensive line, curious to watch them. They were okay. They had their moments. They had tough pass rush against the Bills, but I thought respectable performance out of the offensive line, considering this is their first game together. The outside receivers, they could not get open. 
That was not a shock at all. Certainly lack of talent out there. Especially with Denzel Mims hurt and not playing this game. And the decision to bring in Rashad Perriman over Robbie Anderson looked stellar week one. Rashad Perriman, three catches, 17 yards. Robbie Anderson down in Carolina, six for 115 and a score as a Panther. That's great. Le'Veon Bell shows some bursts, but shocker, gets hurt, hurts his hamstring, probably out multiple weeks. Terrific. The big thing you're worried about in this game is the play of Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold looked awful in this game. He made a lot of bad decisions. One that immediately comes to mind, obviously, is the third and six in the first half. They are trying to get a play. The play breaks down. Darnold sprints backwards, throws off his back foot into the middle of the field and double coverage the pass gets picked off. That's the kind of mistake you cannot be making in Pop Warner football, let alone your third year in the NFL. Darnold also missed plenty of open receivers. He also, late in this game, like in the second half when the Jazz were driving, he took a sack instead of throwing it away when he was well outside the pocket. That's a mistake you can't make in your third year in the league. And all these things, all of them, they come back to one man, that is the head coach of this football team, Adam Gase. And one thing about Gase, before the season, Gase was very high on his offense. Let's check out what he had to say, courtesy of an interview clip from Ralph Bacchiano of SNY's Twitter. Do you think that if you improve your early down success rate this year, that will help you be a better third down team? Oh, 100%. I mean, it was absolutely atrocious everything last year. You can just throw out all that out. All the stats were terrible. All right, so we're going to throw out all of 2019, okay, when the Jets were 31st in point score. We're going to throw that out. Here's what happened on Sunday. The Jets were as conservative as I've ever seen. They ran unimaginative screens all the time. They ran plays that gave them no chance to pressure that defense. The Jets, with no outside receivers, did not once try. You know, let's put two tight ends out there. We used Herndon and Ryan Griffin, who, by the way, last year was a fantastic. We can't use him. We can't deviate from our 11 personnel. We can't put Bell and Frank Gore in the backfield more often than not. We can't split Chris Herndon down and put uh, Ryan Griffin on the line. No, we're going to be as vanilla as possible. And Gase also, again, dumb decision-making. Two I want to point out to you that they were very bad. Number one, down 14 out the first quarter. Jets have fourth and three near midfield. They punt the ball back to the Bills. At that point, I'm like, you know what? Why not go for it? You have a little momentum here. The defense had shown no ability at that point to stop Buffalo. Just punting the ball away. They gained a net of 20 yards. The Bills are past that point in about three plays. Why is that the option here? Why not be aggressive and say, you know what, Sam, I believe in you. Make a play here and get, get us going. But nope, we're punting. The other one, late second quarter, they finally have a drive going. They're in the red zone. No timeouts left. First, like they're at the 15-yard line, 15 seconds left. And they throw a screen in the middle of the field with no timeouts left. You know where you should throw the ball? Maybe into the end zone. Maybe give yourself a shot here. Maybe say, you know what? Like, if he misses, we have one more crack of the end zone. That play is settling for a field goal to cut the margin down and make Adam Gase's loss look better. We also have plenty of what, I want to give credit to this term, Joe Caparozzo of the Turn on the Jets podcast on Twitter. He calls it Gase turds. Those second and long runs into the A-gap that literally accomplish nothing. 
literally, what are you gaining out of it? You're going from second and 10 to third and seven. Whoopee. Congratulations. They've done this great. Joe Caparoso also pointed out these facts about the Adam Gaze era for the Jets, which is 17 games old at this point. And the Jets are now seven and 10 in the Adam Gaze era. They've scored under 20 points 11 times. They've lost by double digits eight times. They are two and five against the AFC East. They are two and seven on the road. Sam Darnold has started 14 of those games. He has thrown for under 250 yards in nine of them. Only exceed 300 yards twice. But don't forget, this is the same head coach that Christopher Johnson, the brilliant owner of the Jets, once said, he's coaching us where football is going. Really? The entire resume of Adam Gase is, I coached for Peyton Manning in two years in Denver. And Peyton Manning highly endorsed him. And I'm sick of Peyton Manning trying to get Adam Gase jobs because Adam Gase has done nothing without Peyton Manning to prove it. Since Peyton Manning and Gase separated in 2015, and Gase went to Chicago, his offenses have ranked 23rd, 17th, 28th, 26th, and 31st in points scored in the five years since he left the Broncos. None above 17th, only once outside the bottom 12 teams. That's pathetic. He was asked at a press conference on Monday after the game. He was asked if he should change anything. He said, I will not change any of my play calls based on what he saw from the Bills' defense. Once again, making excuses that it's not my fault that the scheme, that calls I made didn't work. The players didn't execute, basically, is what he's telling you. This man is delusional, and he's destroying this franchise's best hope at a long-term answer with the quarterback position. And I'm sick of all the excuses. The media said this last year. Oh, they don't have talent. Oh, they had no offseason. Oh, the players are hurt. Look what the Jaguars did yesterday. Look what the Jaguars did on Sunday. They had Gardner Minshew, a sixth-round pick quarterback, go 19 for 20 passing, and he still managed to beat the Colts, who are one of the favorites in the ASC South, and had a very good defense. Look at Washington. Washington has one weapon, Terry McLaurin, for Dwayne Haskins. They came back from a 17-0 deficit to beat the Eagles. This is just an unimaginative head coach here at the Jets. He has excuse after excuse after excuse ready to explain why his teams aren't competing. And this is ridiculous. And now we talked about it last year with Adam Gates, how all of his former players, the Dolphins, whether it was Ryan Tannehill, Kenyon Drake, Devontae Parker, how they all look great once they got away from him. Now we're seeing that with the ex-Jets. We saw with Kelly Assembly on Thursday night against the Chiefs. He saw suddenly he's sprinting out. He's mauling people in the running game and he's playing like an all-pro guard. We saw Robbie Anderson down in Carolina and gets down there six for 115 to score. We saw Jamal Adams down there for Seattle against the Falcons. Rack got 12 tackles, a sack, two and a half tackles for a loss, and basically flying all over the field. This franchise, I can put it in the books right now. I will write this down here on week after week one. I will write this down after week one here. It's not going to change. They're not going to the playoffs. Even with the extra wildcard team, they're not going. That's going to mean that this franchise has gone a decade without going to the postseason, which is really hard to do in the NFL, where you can get rewarded for being bad by getting draft picks and getting young players to get better. It is really hard to be really bad in the NFL. The Jets have been bad for a decade. Adam Gaze is running this team into the ground. Literally. We have seen plenty of Adam Gaze over five years. We know he's not a good coach. 
The question is the owner has figured out, yeah, he's not a good coach because the longer he waits, the more he's ruining this quarterback. And you're going to be sitting there in, in next year with draft capital, and you're going to be sitting here going, should the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence? If you have to draft Trevor Lawrence, that means you have a problem because Adam Gase ruined this quarterback who has a, who came out of that class with his chance to be as good as anybody in it. That is pathetic. And if you were expecting different out of the Jets this year, boy, I got a bridge to sell you because you were out of your mind. Enough about the Jets. I'm very sick of this. And I know they're going to get pummeled this week by San Francisco. But up next, we're going to recap the rest of week one with Joe Dalizio right after this. From the 38-yard line. Wilson wants it all. Deep ball. Metcalf got it. Touchdown, Seattle. On fourth down, they leave the offense out there and not only get the first down, they deliver a strike to DK Metcalf. All right, we are back here. You just heard Fox Sports' Adam Amin uh, calling the week one touchdown Russell Wilson bomb to DK Metcalf. It's a fun week one of football, and as is tradition on this podcast, the third year in a row, we are breaking down week one with the host of the Sharp Chatter podcast, Joe D'Aloisio. Joe, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back on the podcast. Always enjoy our conversation. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I have to say, though, week one, definitely a lot of fun to watch. I will say, not having the fans in the stands is definitely a little weird to get used to. Okay, see, uh, that's. Uh, I'm glad you're going to start there, because I think that's where we disagree a little bit. Um, I didn't mind no fans in the stands. You know, I actually enjoyed hearing the um, on-the-field banter um, whenever, whenever, you know, the curse words weren't uh, bleeped out by the broadcast crew. Um, I enjoyed the QB cadences, hearing them, you know, try to hard count, call the audibles. I like that. Also, you know, you look at the NFL rosters, right? They're so much bigger than any other professional sports. The sidelines looked packed, right? And I'm not saying they're not, they're obviously not fans, but they looked like people, people were there. And, and I, I thought, I thought that worked. Now, would I would I have loved to seen a, a miserable Browns fan sulking in, <laughs> in, in more disappointment? Absolutely. You know, this upcoming week, would I love to see a nice Lambeau leap after Devontae Adams catches another touchdown? Of course, of course, I would. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm just glad football's back, even with no fans. It's still something. It still feels a little bit normal. It feels like fall, right? Football's back. The action's back. The football was good. A lot of wacky things happened in week one, but you you could expect that considering the circumstances. Oh, for sure. I mean, we knew this week was going to be crazy because we had no preseason. We had no tra- we had an abbreviated training camp, no OTAs. There's a lot of questions about how things would go. And we led up to the billing for wacky week one. Because, I mean, you're coming out of week one. You have Jacksonville, Washington, Arizona are 1-0, while the 49ers, Vikings, Bucks, Colts, and Eagles are among those teams going 0-1. You're sitting there at the end of the week. You're just going... Like, what the hell happened in week one? <laughs> 100%. And I would have never predicted that. I don't think anybody would have predicted that. And again, I think it just goes back to the, the, the wacky offseason that we had. Uh, practices being different. Oh, lack of OTA. No preseason games. Uh, I mean, you saw it on the injury front. You got a lot of guys that got hurt in week one. Uh, unfortunately, I think early on in this season, we're going to continue to see guys struggle through injuries. Hopefully, it's not that bad. But because of, you know... The, the different off season, we, we could expect the unexpected this year. 
Yeah, for sure. Let's start with your team. Let's start with the Packers here. They were probably one of the more impressive teams in week one. They absolutely blow the Vikings out. Aaron Rodgers puts on a vintage performance. What's your big takeaway from the Packer Viking game? All right, my big takeaway is shame on any media member out there that has claimed that Aaron Rodgers is done, that he's washed up, that he can't play. It's time to, you know, take a back seat. Shame on you because he was absolutely electric. Um, against the Minnesota Vikings. I, I thought the offense looked great. They were sharp. Um, one thing that I noticed in Rodgers, and, and they, they alluded to it in the broadcast, obviously I followed the team a little bit closely, so I heard him speak about it throughout the offseason. Um, he did a lot of work this offseason with his legs and lower extremities, right? Um, and that's one thing that I've noticed, that Aaron Rodgers had a tendency over the last few years to almost look like he was constantly throwing off that that back foot or throwing unbalanced. And he looked so grounded and positioned this past week. You could tell all of his passes were crisp. They were on target. He didn't short any balls. He looked phenomenal. He really, he really looked like vintage Aaron Rodgers. Now, granted, you got a wide receiver like Devontae Adams. Of course, that helps, right? But he got production out of MVS. He got production out of Alan Lazard. I thought the offensive line, I think they deserve some credit too. All right. Rodgers did not get touched on Sunday. Billy Turner was out. Lucas Patrick and Lane Taylor, they both go out during the game. The Vikings secondary was atrocious. All right. But at the same time, that offensive line, Aaron Rodgers, they got it together. They were the glue to this offense. And it showed. It showed. Now, the other, the, the one downfall, I'm a little concerned with the Green Bay Packers defense. All right, I thought the Vikings were able to march down the field relatively too easy. I mean, they did give up a ton of points. The scoreboard is an indication of that. Um, I thought if the Vikings would have stayed loyal to the run, it could have been a, a different game, especially once Kenny Clark went down with an injury. Another guy that the Packers are hopeful doesn't miss a lot of time. Yeah, they've certainly had a great week one, and Rodgers did not look washed up. Another team where the quarterbacks did look a little washed that Saints-Bucks game was certainly a lot different than people thought it was going to be. I will say Brady did not look very sharp in his first game of that new offense. Drew Brees did not do much to ease your concerns to worry about him fading like he did the second half of last year. What's your big thoughts after seeing some of that Saints-Bucks game? All right. See, I think everyone is starting to hit that panic button on the Bucks after that week one game. And I think that's absolutely crazy. Did Tom Brady look a little old, a little sluggish? Absolutely. There's no denying it. But again, I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers will be perfectly fine. I have no problem with Bruce Arians calling them out. Um, I think the offseason played a tremendous role in the lack of chemistry, and it was evident, right? There were so many times where Brady and Evans weren't on the same page. Brady has never had the talent that he has right now in Tampa Bay. I think the more that these guys gel, this team is going to be dangerous. They're only going to get better. All right. Uh, there's no way five weeks from now we're having this con- this same conversation. And if we are, I will be completely shocked, and I did not expect it at all. And as for the Saints, I mean, we can't discredit the Saints. They're one of the best teams in the NFC. There's no surprise there. Drew Brees looked phenomenal. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. But I think we need to slow down a little bit with the hitting the panic button on the Bucks just after one game. Yeah, I'll dive deeper into the Bucks and the pick segment. We joined in just a bit by our Bucks fan Charlie Borges. We are going to talk Tampa Bay in the picks. We're gonna to get to that in a little bit, but someone has this Sunday night game with the Cowboys and the Rams and 
you're a Cowboys fan. I I know you're. I mean, deep respect as a former as a Packer guy who seen Mike McCarthy be the head coach there. I don't know how much Mike McCarthy actually was the head coach of that team. It felt like all the same staff doing all the same things that they, they did last year. Jason McCarthy holding the headset instead of Jason Garrett. Yeah, you know what? Um, I don't want to say I was laughing, but I may have been laughing because <laughs> Mike McCarthy's time spent away from the game didn't didn't help him in any in any fashion, and you know. That's that's a shame because the Dallas Cowboys have weapons all over that offense. All right, Dak Prescott looked good. Zeke looked great. CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Um, overall, though, I felt that this game was too close on the scoreboard, but it also felt like the Rams dominated the entire time. Um, Mike McCarthy's got to be better. He's got to be better. There's no excuses. Your first game back in the NFL, um, I expected them to really fire on all cylinders. It was it was concerning that you know you have that fourth and three decision. Who again? It depends who you ask, and it depends what happens. If Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys convert on that fourth and three, nobody's bashing him. But at the same time, you kick the field goal, you tie the game, you see what happens. Then you get a little unfortunate towards the end of the game. Michael Gallup, forty-seven yard reception, overturned because of that weak offensive pass interference call. Which, by the way, Jalen Ramsey, he should be embarrassed for that flop, for that performance, that acting job that he did. Because the, the Cowboys got absolutely hosed on that one. I think, though, with the Cowboys, could be a, a similar story with the Bucks. all right? It's week one. Expectations are high. So let's, pump the, let's pump the brakes. Let's see where they are by week five. You know, I could see this Dallas team, as long as they stay healthy, which, you know, injuries got to them already in week one. But I could see them midway through the season averaging 30 points a game. Yeah, the thing I'm intrigued by with Dallas, I think Mike Sando from the Athletic brought on the podcast last week, is this whole idea that you brought Mike McCarthy in, but you're not letting him call the plays. You're letting Kellen Moore, who's in there for one year, call the plays. And I also read somewhere else on the Athletic that basically this whole theory of, you know, like Mike McCarthy was off. He's supposed to be bringing all his people, but that he brought none of his people in. He basically inherited the entire staff at Jerry Pick. So, in my point perspective, the question is, like, is Mike McCarthy really the head coach there if Jerry picked the staff and Jerry gave Kellen Moore play calling duties? I mean, let's be honest. Is anyone really the coach there as long as Jerry's there? No. Bingo. There's your answer. Yeah, it's just a, it's a shame. I do think McCarthy does. I think he should be able to bring in his own guys because I get they like Callum Moore, but like Mike McCarthy, apparently he's been out for a year and he has been like sort of like studying the game, trying to prove it. Like you're kind of cutting him off if you're not letting him bring in his own people. And you're saying, okay, you have Kellen Moore, who's been our coordinator for one year and called plays for one year. He gets priority over you. I don't like that. I mean, I like the fact just because Kellen Moore has some sort of um, familiarity with the entire roster, with 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 Dak. Um, so I'm okay with that. But I could see it definitely being a potential problem in the long run. Yeah, I will, I will say also the Monday night games, both intriguing. The Giants surprised me. I did not check the Giants to play as well as they did for most of that game. I mean, the, that whole game turned in the third quarter when Daniel Jones throws the rough interception in the red zone. They were driving for the lead, but I think they played much more competitive than I thought they would in that game. Yeah, you know what? They did play a lot more competitive. The, a couple things, though, that, that stood out to me, um, their, their lack of ability to get their run game going with Saquon Barkley. I mean, not a good sign. Not credit to, to, to uh, the Steelers. Uh, but that stood out to me, and, and you mentioned it. Daniel Jones and his turnovers, he's got to be better. He's got to be better. I mean, I know it's year two, but 
you, you can't be making some of those same mistakes that you're making. And that red zone interception that he had was unacceptable. It was pretty bad, but I will, as far as the run game goes, I'm going to give credit to the Steelers there. That's one of the best defenses in football, and they made it clear to take Saquon Barkley away from them. And I think the Giants will have more success running the ball this week in Chicago, considering the, the effort the Bears had against the Lions. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Again, you got to give you got to give um, the Steelers credit. And if you got to give anyone credit with the Steelers, and I know I'm going a little bit all over the place with this, got to give Big Ben credit because I thought he looked great in his first game back from that elbow injury. It's always good to see him healthy out there with, with Juju and, and how much better of a player Juju Smith is when he has a guy throwing him the ball. Yeah, I also don't know how much you saw at the late game last night, but I'm not feeling great about that Titans pick. They did not look very good out in Denver, and they got lucky at their, that the Broncos could not capitalize on a bunch of opportunities down the stretch. So that game should not have been that close. Yeah, that that was a little concerning to me. I was concerned with um, with Ryan Tannehill's lack of ability to get A.J. Brown involved in that game. You know, he, he's big target, talented wide receiver, really couldn't couldn't get him going, kind of really relied on the tight end. You know, he got Corey Davis going. Also, can we talk about the kicking or the <laughs> lack there of kicking? Yeah. I mean, Christ. Now, in my, on the Sharp Cheddar podcast, I took the, I took the Titans at uh, minus one and a half, and I escaped that one. But, my goodness, can we make a field goal here? What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, if he missed that kick last night, missed the twenty-five yard, he would have, he would not have gotten on the plane back to Tennessee. No, oh, I would have still probably not brought him back on the plane. I mean, they, unexcusable. That was one of the worst kicking performances since my man Mason Crosby had a had a terrible afternoon in Detroit. Which, of course, I was at that game. Yeah, we're not we won't relive that one, but I think thank you. We'll we'll stick we'll stick with the Week One theme here. Like, what's the most surprising result you saw in Week One? Um, the most surprising result, I would have to say the Washington football team taking down the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I had very little to no expectations for the Washington team. I think I thought they'd be the one of, if not the worst team in the league. Still could happen. I mean, it's only week one. But um, got to give credit where credit is due. Chase Young, that defensive line. That's a great group right there. That is a great unit. Chase Young looked really good. I feel bad for every single quarterback in that division because not only do they have to deal with Chase Young, but that entire unit. Kudos to Ron Rivera getting that IV at halftime so he could coach in the second half and be ready to go. I, I love everything that that guy's doing for that team right now. Yeah, and this is all, there's also a flip of last year's week one where they had the big lead in blue and the Eagles came back to win. This year, the Eagles have a blue a 17 nothing lead. The Redskins come back to win. So interesting deja vu there. Oh, absolutely, and if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned with Carson Wentz. And if the Eagles can't figure out a way to protect Carson Wentz, he won't be playing a full season. I can guarantee that. Yeah, underrated there. The offensive line is getting old. I know they didn't have Lane Johnson on Sunday, but that's a concern, especially when you got the Rams coming in this week with Aaron Donald and company trying to harass Wentz again. I mean, you saw what Aaron Donald did to the, the Dallas's offensive line. He was tossing people around like they were dolls. So, yeah. good luck. Yeah, I think my biggest surprise of the week, and shout out to Sandra Rosa, who Jaguars fans could be on the podcast later today, but she, like her, the Jaguars, they dominated the Colts in the second half of that game. They come back to win this contest 27 17. Gardner Minshew's going 19 for 20 passing, and the Colts, Rivers turns the ball over. Ugly performance out of the Colts. And the Jags, I'm stunned won that game. I thought it was for sure a tanking for Trevor year. Yeah, that's, the, you know, that's another team. Again, though, it's week one. This is this is the best week where we we always overreact. 
and we always have the hottest takes early on. Let's see. Let's see where we are in a few weeks if we're still thinking that way. I mean, again, Garter Minshew, yeah, one incompletion. He threw three touchdowns. Didn't even reach 200 yards. Not sustainable. Let's be honest. Not sustainable. Let's let's see them go up against a real offense. Let's see how that defense does. Again, you you would have thought Philip Rivers and company would have done a little bit better. They're still getting used to things. I wouldn't be so high on uh, on the Jacksonville Jaguars, but nonetheless, it was a surprise. Definitely was. Let's let's take speaking. And then the calls out brutal loss. Who else do you think had some really bad losses week one? Um, I would have to say the Detroit Lions. Um, how do you let Mitch Trubisky score, throw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter? I, I, that's just unacceptable. It's Mitch Trubisky. You got to be better than that. But at the same time, it was like a typical Detroit Lions loss. Um, so I thought that was bad. And by the way, DeAndre, DeAndre Swift, you got to catch that ball. You catch that ball, you win the game. No one's talking about Mitch Trubisky coming back. I'm tired of hearing about Mitch Trubisky. He's not a good quarterback. But um, I thought that was a big one. And, you know, it's a divisional game. You want to win those early ones. Um, that was a brutal loss. And I think I could throw the Bengals into that conversation as well. Joe Burrow leads the team down the field, sets up a, a game a game tying field goal. Now, of course, you don't know what's going to happen if he makes the field goal, but he shanks it completely. I thought that was a bad loss as well. Yeah, that image of Joe Burrow's face on the side after the kick is missed, and you're like, "Welcome to the NFL, kid. Welcome to the Bengals." Exactly. It was like, "Oh God, here we go." I will say also in terms of the brutal loss category. I talk on the top of the show. The Jets belong in there, but. I'm also going to spotlight the Cleveland Browns here because they just completely no-showed against the Ravens. They got dismantled from top to bottom. I know Baltimore's a much better team they are, but with the talent Cleveland has, you shouldn't be losing that game 38-6. to No, but you know what? Again, it's the Cleveland Browns, and, and I'm sorry. I'm tired of the high expectations and and, uh, and them falling flat on their face. I mean, it's, it's every year. I want, the Browns to be, I want the Browns to be a great football team in the NFL. But I'm tired of every year going into it saying, all right, here it is. They got the talent. It's going to happen this year. And then they open up like that. Now, granted, the, the, the Ravens are one of the best teams in the league. You know, Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson. He's got weapons all around him. That defense is good. You got to do better than scoring six points, though. You got to show up. They didn't even show up. Yeah, one thing I don't understand, and this is a little bit of a sneak peek at the, at the week two show with the money here. How are they five and a half point favorites at home against the Bengals? I have no idea. That line I makes, have no idea. Makes no sense to me. Like, what made I you watch that game I, and say, you know what, this team is six points better than the Bengals? You know what, though? That's a game that everyone's going to jump on and everyone's going to lose. That's a game you don't touch. Yeah, I'm not planning on touching that one this week. But I will say also, like, in terms of the team's not showing how'd you do, how'd, you do, how'd you do this week, by the way? Two and one. Okay. I did. I was three and oh. Just saying. Not to brag, but I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah, I had the one I lost on was the Eagles because I had them laying the points, and then I was looking good for the half, and they just completely collapsed. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it, it, that was a tough one. That was a tough one to swallow. Yeah, it was a tough. It was a tough pill to swallow this week. Just like my Jet game, and I talk about this at the top of the podcast, but man, oh man, I'm sick and tired of like the excuses at this football team. It's it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. What 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 are you, what what excuse are you most tired of? About, oh, like the there's no talent. Like oh, like we like you guys got hurt. we had the injuries. Like and I'm sitting there. I'm like I'm, I'm like I'm watching Washington come back with no offensive skill players find a way to win this game. 
I'm watching the Jaguars at Gardner Minshew like put lighting up the Colts defense down the stretch. And here I got the Jets sitting here running screens on on third and goal from the like they're on third down from the fifth from the 15 yard line with no time on the clock and running draws every second and ten play on earth. Come on, got to be better than that. You got to be better than that. No, this team's gonna be. And if you watch that, you clearly know this team is not going to the playoffs again. And this could be a decade with the, with no playoffs with the Jets. And there's no end in sight because this owner seems to have no or, or, or urgency to try and put a winner together. Well. I know I don't I don't mean to flip the script here, change up the sports, but at least you're a Mets fan, Stevie Cohen, so you should be happy about that. I should be happy about that. Like, it'd be nice if you could take his fourteen, some of his fourteen billion, buy the Jets too, and get rid of Woody and actually run that team, let them win. Never say never. I will never say never. And we'll look ahead to week two for a minute. Which team do you think can least afford to go zero and two here? Because you know zero and two is almost always a death sentence in this league. Yeah, 0-2 is always a death sentence in this league. And you look at their matchup in Week 2, and I don't think they will go 0-2, but I think it's the 49ers. All right, they're the only winless team in that division. They arguably dropped their first game against the weakest divisional opponent. Um, Luckily, they're playing the Jets. So the odds of going 0-2, very slim. But if somehow, some way, Sam Darnold becomes Joe Namath and, and the Jets upset the 49ers the 49ers are in big big trouble i'm hitting the panic button two weeks in losing to, to the arizona Cardinals and the jets absolutely this team's in trouble as somebody who sat there and watched most of that jet game in week one i will tell you for a fact you hammer the 49ers in this game you <laughs> hammer the money wise especially with no levy on bell on the jets this week he's probably gonna be out with the hamstring the jets have no playmakers they have no offensive the offensive line's gonna struggle with their pass rush George Kittle doesn't have to play his game. The 49ers are going to win easily. No, listen, I expect the 49ers to win easily, but I think that's, you know, that's a perfect team that, you know, they were just in the Super Bowl last year. You start the season 0-2, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a tough road to recover. Yeah, I think the other game is intriguing. Like, in terms of the 0-2 potentials here, like, I don't think if you're the Vikings, you want to go 0-2 either because you lost a brutal divisional game in Green Bay. You're going to Indianapolis and... This is a game you can win because that's if you run the ball with Dalvin Cook, but like I think they have to find a way to win that game. Uh, that's a big one. That's another big one as well. Yeah, I looked up the 49ers are minus 295 on the money line this week, so heavy favorites. Heavy favorites, but a heavy payout if you go on the opposite end for the, and you're, you're feeling a little risque and you take the Jets. Yeah, well, I'm not going anywhere near that. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. Not enough money in this world to make me even contemplate that. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's look ahead to week two for a little bit. What games are you looking forward to this week? What's got you excited? Yeah, I think the, the, there's one game that really got the juices flowing for me, and I think that's the, the biggest matchup of the week, that Sunday night game between the Patriots and the Seahawks. All right, Both these teams, they start off the season 1-0, but you know now the Patriots, Bill Belichick, and Cam Newton, they get a real test. Okay, yeah, they beat the Miami Dolphins. Big deal. All right, Cam Newton looked good. Bill Belichick utilized him the right way, I thought. Let's see how they perform against one of the top teams in the NFC, one of the top teams in the league. On the flip side with Seattle, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks looked really good week one against the Falcons. All right, I think Russell Wilson had an MVP kind of kind of a game. You know, can he continue to play at that level? I think we learn most, though, about the Patriots this upcoming week because if the Patriots could win against Seattle, 
I think that says a lot about this team. It says a lot about Bill Belichick and what he's doing in New England and what he has been doing for the last 20-plus years in New England. Yeah, that's one I'm definitely going to watch. Other ones I think I'm keeping an eye on here, that Atlanta-Dallas game, the both of them try to going out 0-2. That's got a shootout potential, in my opinion. I think I'm also intrigued about the Rams and the Eagles because, again, like the Rams defensive line against Philly's offensive line is the key to that game. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. And I think, underratedly, Washington, Arizona, all those teams are going to be 2-0 and and have a great like head start towards the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree with that one. That was kind of under the radar. One of them is will go 2-0, and and it, you got a lot of good storylines right there. Right? You have Chase Young, you have Kyler Murray, two of the young, hopefully young studs, future studs in the NFL. So that, that, will, be, that will be a game that a lot more people will tune into and watch um, after the week one outcomes for sure. I think that's going to be, like, if you're a red zone person, that's in the 405 slot. I don't think either CBS games get in the, in the doubleheader window is be very compelling. I feel like that's going to be one you'll be watching red zone, hoping they keep flipping back to it for the scoring opportunities in that. You got it. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. All right, Joe. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow on social media and keep up with the Sharp Cheddar podcast. All right. Yeah, Mike. Just give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Don't forget that double. Don't forget the double. D-A. L-O-I-S-I-O, new Sharp Cheddar podcast dropping uh, shortly. I'll have my recap of week one, what was good, what was bad with the Packers, as well as my week one headlines. And then later in the week, uh, we'll have a little preview episode where I get my picks of the week, try to get someone on from Detroit to give me a perspective on the Lions and preview that game, all that fun stuff, Mike. All right, Joe. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, we are going to do our week two NFL picks with Charlie Borges right after this. Show me the money. All right. We are back here. Show me the money. Week number two of the NFL season coming up. Join me today, somebody we first heard from back in the NFL Draft Podcast back in April. He's a big fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Charlie Boris is back here. Charlie, how are you? Uh, I could be better after this week's performance, but uh, I, I'm doing fine personally. Well, that's good to hear you fine personally. Before we get into what happened last week at Tampa Bay, can you tell me a little bit how you became a Buck fan? That's a question that I get a lot. The story used to be longer, but I've slowly shortened it as the years have gone on. I was a huge Keyshawn Johnson fan. Um, I was born in 93, so he was with the Jets in the late 90s and I believe the early 2000s for 2000-2001 season. Then he was traded to Tampa Bay, so I followed him to Tampa Bay, and I was nine years old at the time. Um, then the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl in 2003, and I stuck with them. And my father is a huge then Redskins fan, now the Washington football team. And Keyshawn Johnson was traded to the Cowboys for Joey Galloway. And my father said that if I ever rooted for the Cowboys, that he would disown me as his son. So (laughs) I have remained a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ever since 2000. And I believe five was the year uh, Keyshawn was traded. Hey, give you props though. You got a, you got a championship out of that. So better did a better choice getting off the jets than, than me sticking with them. Yeah, you're you're right about that one. 
Yeah, I was I was a big Keyshawn guy at first got there. I looked at the Jets won that trade for about a minute, then they then Tampa wins the ring and Keyshawn goes on a Hall of Fame career potentially. I'm like, nah, this is what it makes it's like to be a Jet fan. Well, it was 2003 was when they traded him. It was that long. It was that long ago. Yeah, it was really wow. really long time. For 2004 after the 2003 season. Yeah, so. They got Keyshawn got his money's worth, and talk about the Bucks. Now they get the big storyline. They get Tom Brady coming in. Then they have a letdown week one against the Saints. What's your big takeaway from that game? I know it is week one, but I'm kind of in a little bit of a panic mode. Speaking of Keyshawn Johnson Buccaneers, do you know the last time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won a playoff game was? Yeah, we believe it was like 2007. Nope. 2008? Their last, their last playoff uh, appearance was in 2008, and they lost in the wild card round to the Washington Redskins, I believe. Yes, that's right. But the last time that they won a playoff game was the Super Bowl. Wow, that's against a Against the Oakland time. Raiders. It is over 17, it's about 17 years. In fact, the last time the Buccaneers won a playoff game Tom Brady was coming off of his first Super Bowl with New England. It had been that long since they have seen any remote success in the postseason. And Brady was supposed to come in and give us this hope, which he did. But this is kind of reminding me of the Browns last season. And I'll explain a little bit. Reminding me of the Browns because they bring in this high-profile offensive target in Odell Beckham Jr., they bring in the new quarterback who's supposed to save the franchise. Are you are you following me, right? Yeah, I'm following you. It, and they didn't prove anything at all, but people are saying they're Super Bowl contenders. Don't be surprised if they go all the way. Everyone's locking their bets in before the season even starts, and when they take the field, they completely just don't know what to do. They they lose. They don't know. They look lost. That's what I mean when I say they lose. They look kind of look lost. The timing, the receivers with Brady and Evans and Godwin didn't seem right. Him and Gronk seemed completely off. Um, they've been together since 2010. They did have that one year off when Gronk wasn't or was retired, quote unquote. I'm not even going to count that as a real retirement. He just took a vacation. Um, it's just they just don't look like a team that has a well-oiled offense to win a Super Bowl, which is what we were told is what we were going to get. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. My my counter to that would be you know it it is one game. It's also a very strange off season where you know they had no OTAs, they had no mini camps, they just had barely a training camp, any preseason games. I'm not shocked there's rust there, but you do still have to be concerned that Tom Brady is 43 years old and. History has not been kind to quarterbacks over the age of 40. So you always have to be worried that, you know, maybe the father time does catch up with him at this point. He looks, I will agree. He looks 43 years old. I'll go back to the Brown comment, uh, the Brown comparison. Baker Mayfield was coming in as a rookie. Tom Brady, for lack of a better term, he played like a rookie. He just, that one interception that was intended for Evans was nowhere near the pick six to Janoris Jenkins was nowhere near receiver. It, I was thinking about it this morning. The Saints defense knew how to control Tom Brady. 
and it only took 20 years and somebody to change teams to figure out it's either going to be a straight route to Gronk, a slant to one of his receivers, or his running back is going to shuffle to his left a little bit and have a nice little lollipop pass, and that was it. They couldn't get going. Leonard Fournette was not Leonard Fournette, but we kind of expected that. Um, he wasn't there too long. I think he signed, what, a week ago prior to the season starting. Yeah, um, right. Ronald Jones, yeah, he he did what he was supposed to do, but he's not going to be a 1,000-yard rusher, something the Buccaneers haven't had since I want to say work done. Another name that is synonymous with the Buccaneers' success in the early 2000s when John Gruden was that coach. But the defense is going to need to step up if the offense is going to continue to be this way. And special team goofs like the one that they had don't help whatsoever. Yeah, they do not. And this week, they get a matchup that should be a little easier for them. They host the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, we saw, had very big defensive issues last year. They got 34 of the Raiders in that loss. So, what do you think about that game coming up? What do you think is the key of that game? Because I saw the Oscars made the Bucks big favorites in that contest. They did make them big favorites. I don't know why. I really don't. Um, just, just Christian McCaffrey is arguably the best offensive weapon of the NFL or in the NFL today, barring or not barring, um, besides Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, um, they have historically held him in check. I will say that. However, once again, if you can't get the offense going, that gives the defense um, more pressure. And it's only a matter of time before a guy like Christian McCaffrey will just break out against you. Yes, indeed. Keep McCaffrey in check will be the key for the Bucks this game. Let's get to the reason you're here today. We're going to do some picks on the podcast this week. My good friend Nick Fred was here last week for Team Challengers. He did go 3-0 and on his picks. He had the Seahawks laying a point and a half in Atlanta. They won that easily. He had the Chiefs laying 9.5 against the Houston Texans opening night. They won that game convincingly as well. So, And the third one was a bit tricky. You had the Titans last night. Squeaked it out on that Steven Gostaski kick. So 3-0 for the challenge. Although that Titan game, I think, was very interesting. I was actually in bed for that. Because it's a 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time game. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was only one game on Monday Night Football. Kind of <laughs> keep it at that. I think uh, Pat McAfee tweeted out. Halfway through, or about halfway through the third quarter of the Giants Steelers game, there's still one more game after this, and at that point it was nine thirty. And I'm like, I, I'm going to bed. I'll just read the box score in the morning, see what happens. So I, sorry, I can't comment on the game. I was just in bed. Yeah, you did not miss much. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't. I didn't think I did. Yeah, you did. I, uh, I was playing a guy in fantasy football who had one of the Titans receivers but I was already up by 20, so it didn't really matter. I know Ryan Tannehill and his limitation in the uh, passing game. Yeah, so you got a, you got away out there pretty well. I, on the other hand, went 2-1 last week. 
I had the Bengals getting three and a half against the Chargers. They won that thanks to Bullock doinking that kick in the last minute. I had the Steelers laying the points against the Giants last night. They covered that easily. I went 2-0. I thought I was going to get the Eagles. They were up. They had they're laying six and a half in Washington. They had the big leader, and then they blew it. So I went 2-1. and one. I could have been 3 and off. The Eagles actually finished that game off. Well, hopefully this week you'll get a better result, and you can uh... – Put my money where it where where it is, you know. Yes, you know what I mean. So let's let's do it. We are going to do it here. We are getting to the picks for the week, the season. The challengers are three and zero. Oh. I am two and one. Charlie is the rep for the challengers week. You are up first. Where are you going with your first pick? I am taking the uh, Bengals. We're getting five and a half against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Joe Burrow looks like the number one overall pick. Got flashes of it, and I expect him to do it again against the. Cleveland Browns. Um, the Browns just—they they were the Cleveland Browns. So I'm—I will surely take the five and a half that the Bengals are getting. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. That's one I looked at the line. I'm sitting here, I'm like, really, five and a half for the Browns after that performance? So I fully respect that pick. I'm—I know this is also one of those ones where the odds might say, okay, like we do it, and everybody picks the Bengals and they lose. But I—I I like the logic. I like the Browns there. I like—I like the Bengals there. I mean, excuse me. Where are you going with your next pick? I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings getting three against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Vikings offense is a lot better than what people think it is. Uh, the Colts, they kind of had a heartbreaking loss last week. Phillip Rivers wasn't what they thought they were getting, kind of like the Buccaneers and Tom Brady in week one at least. So I will take the Vikings being the underdog against Indianapolis. Yeah, that ja- that Colt game was very disappointing last week with the Jags because the Colts had a chance to win that early. Phillip Rivers was the big pick late. And the Vikings, they are a good football team. If they can get Galvin Cook going, that, that's a good value there at the three. I will agree with that wholeheartedly. That's why I took him. All right, up to your last pick. Where are you going for pick number three? I am taking the Packers over the line. The Packers are giving five and a half. Um, Aaron Rodgers is still one of the most elite quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't know where that narrative came from in the offseason where he wasn't what he used to be. Maybe he's not an all-pro anymore, but he's still a heck of a good quarterback, so I will take them over the Lions who did not do well at all last week. No, that you got to think there's some hangover for the Lions after that game too because you look at it and it's like you have a lead that big. You're up 23-6 to in the fourth quarter, and... The Bears score 21 answered, and on top of that, DeAndre Swift drops the game winning touchdown in the end zone. You got to think there's a little mental damage going into that next game. I absolutely. Once again, Aaron Rodgers for the win. Aaron Discount Rod- double check. Discount double check, and your way through your three <laughs> picks. So I'm up now. Pick number one. I am going to the Giants here, getting six points in Chicago against the Bears. That's another one where I watched the Giants last night. I'm like, okay, they look pretty good. Daniel Jones made a big mistake in the red zone, but they played the Steelers competitive in most of that game. I'm going to Chicago. I'm getting six points against the Bears. The Bears, who were awful for three quarters last week, give me all those points. The Giants will get the run going. Saquon will be, keep this close. The Giants might still lose because the Bears have a little more talent, but give me the six points of the Giants. Pick number one. I will have to say, if Saquon Barkley has another repeat performance against the Bears' defense, I don't see a scenario where the Giants can win more than three games this season. Um, Saquon is their key to their offense. And if he has another repeat performance, I don't expect them to go very far. But if they can get going, I will agree with you wholeheartedly. 
Yeah, that's my my fun pick. Pick number two, I'm going with a favorite here. I'm going with the Ravens laying seven on the road against the Houston Texans. And the Ravens came out. Lamar Jackson somehow looks better than he did last year. I couldn't imagine that was possible. He came out, was dominating the Cleveland Browns. They go on the road. They get the Texans, who they lost by 14, but they should have lost by a lot more of the Chiefs. These two teams played last year in Baltimore. Houston lost 41-7. Texans have gotten worse since then. Ravens have gotten better. I think it's another blowout in the making. Give me the Ravens with laying the touchdown. Pick number two. You can't really stop the MVP, Lamar Jackson. Uh, it, I, there's really nothing to add on to that. I mean, <laughs> JJ Watt, hey, JJ Watt's going to try his best, but I mean, I just in a, in this world, I just don't see the Houston Texans succeeding with Bill O'Brien as their head coach. Lamar Jackson will walk all over them. And if J.J. Watt ever hears this, I apologize to you if you ever see it. But if you're not going to hear it, I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens as well. Yeah, trust me, J.J.'s not listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to pick number three. Before I dive into it, let me ask you, how was the Bill Jet game did you see the other day, Charlie? Uh, I did not see much um, because I was a little... A little excited getting to see the Buccaneers in something prime time. So I was always waiting to watch the Buccaneers game, but I do know that the Jets did what the Jets do, and the Bills are still one of the most underrated teams in all of the NFL. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, so just to be clear, I did watch all that game. And yes, the Jets were awful, and the Jets deserved to lose that game hardly. <laughs> but the Bills made plenty of mistakes that game. Josh Allen fumbled twice. And he threw overthrew a bunch of receivers, including one in the end zone. They missed two field goals. They gave the Jets plenty of chances. And they're going on the road. They're five-and-a-half-point favorites against the Dolphins. To me, that makes no sense because Miami was competitive in New England last week. Miami is not as bad offensively as they showed. I think this is a game where I don't trust the Bills to get laying that many points on the road, especially with Miami having fans in the building. That will help them out a little bit. Home opener for the Dolphins. I like the Dolphins here to bounce back, give the Bills a run for their money, maybe win this game outright. So give me the five and a half points of the Dolphins, pick number three. I will disagree with that. I mean, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins against a defense like the Buffalo Bills. I kind of see the miss. I see the mismatch, and I I would say that if there was an underdog, you can make a case for the Miami Dolphins, but. I don't see Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't see Fitzmagic ever making a comeback like he did when he was with Tampa Bay for those three or four weeks. I will disagree, but hey, if you can prove me wrong, more power to you. All right, to reset the picks of the week, Charlie's taking the Bengals getting five and a half points on Thursday against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. The Packers laying five and a half at home against the Detroit Lions and the Vikings getting three in Indianapolis against the Colts. I am going with the New York football Giants getting six points at, at the Chicago Bears. The Ravens laying seven in Houston against the Texans. And the Miami Dolphins, a home dog, getting five and a half points. Those are your picks for week number two on the Just End the Suffering podcast. I also have to put the record here clear. I did make a suicide pool pick last week on the podcast. It did not go very well. I took... <laughs> I took the Indianapolis Colts to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is about how well that went. So I'm done. <laughs> I think you and a lot of people are done. 
exactly. a lot of my friends who are also in the the do or die pools. They always they pitched in Indianapolis and they all lost. Jacksonville was not supposed to succeed at all, and they did. So you're not the only one. It's not a good week for those people, those survivor pools. Between them, the Eagles, the 49ers, a lot of big favorites lost last week. Yeah, I what I believe Tampa Bay was also a favorite. Am I mistaken? I don't think a lot of people were going to pick that game, those do-or-die pools, but I get the logic. I don't know. I I just I wasn't able to see the, the lines last week. I was too excited that football was actually back to, yeah, I think there were, to bet on it. I think there were three-and-a-half-point underdogs last week, Tampa Bay. So not bad. Okay. It's just it's a respect. Next week, we are going to bring in a Jet fan. My good friend Kevin Lillis coming back on the podcast the first time in a long time, but... I have a feeling we're not going to be too happy with the Jets this week. I feel like this is another beatdown coming by the hands of the 49ers. Uh, I've learned to not speak ill of the Jets. A lot of my friends are Jets fans. So I will uh, I will say good luck. And uh, we will see how it happens. Yeah, well, I'll speak ill of the Jets for them as a Jets fan. They're, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna get crushed. We're just recording on, t- on Tuesday, the 15th. Le'Veon Bell is on short-term IR. Denzel Mims on short-term IR. They have no weapons. Their line is getting going to get plastered by the 49ers front. 49ers are pissed off after that loss. It's not going to be pretty at MetLife. Is that why the podcast is called Just End Suffering Podcast? Yes, it is. You figured it out. Mm. All right, mm. Charlie. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, Charlie Borges Jr. I write for Pucks, Pucks and Pitchforks, which is a fan-sided uh, represented uh, blog for the New Jersey Devils. So I write about the New Jersey Devils. Um, you can always follow them at Puck, uh, uh, Pitchforks Puck. That's a little weird to say out loud, but follow them there. And uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. No problem. Real quick, I know since you're a ho- following the hockey right now, Game 5 tonight, this is going to be out after the podcast is out, so give you a chance to get right or wrong here. You, are the Islanders keeping the series alive, or is Tampa advancing to the Stanley Cup Final? Tampa Bay does make it to the Stanley Cup Final, but they don't do it tonight, so which take, is Tuesday. So you're taking the I'm Island, say, Islanders tonight? Yeah. yeah. Um, there have only There's only been one team that has ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in the Conference Finals when the Conference Finals were a thing. I believe the first year of the conference finals was a thing in hockey was in 1982. Only one team has ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. And that team was the 2000 New Jersey Devils when they came back from a 3-1 series deficit against the Philadelphia Flyers. Their general manager at the time was Lou Lamorello. The current general manager of the New York Islanders is Lou Lamorello. So I'm thinking a little Lou magic, but I think it kind of runs out I would say halfway through game six. So I'm going to say the Islanders win it tonight for game six, but unfortunately they will fall in game six and we'll have a Dallas stars who saw that coming and Tampa Bay lightning Stanley cup final. Yeah. I'm going to break down the Stanley cup final on the podcast next week with our hockey guy, Pete Considori up next. We're going to do the pop culture portion of the program. And we talked to our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rosa right after this.
All right, we are back here wrapping up this week's podcast, keeping the pop culture train going as we enter the fall of 2020 coming up next week. Join me today, our pop culture corresponding, appearing for the 19th time. I did check the record books this week. The great Sam DeRose is here. Sam, how are you? Good, 19. Lucky 19. That's exciting. Yeah, number three on the all-time appearance leaderboard now. Number three? Man, I'm really falling behind. Yeah, well, uh, Joe D, who's on our this episode, is number two. And, of course, the unofficial co-host, Will Schneiderhand, is number one. He is far and away the leader. I mean, I can't compete with Joe and Will, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, those two have been sort of been carrying the carrying the mail here in terms of appearance. So you're climbing up that leaderboard. The pop culture year has been big for you. I mean, I'm coming for you, Will. That's yeah. all I got to say. Yeah, it's been a minute since he's been on. So we'll see, how, we'll see if you can make up the gap over the next couple of months. Well... Um, my fingers are crossed that I'll be asked back again. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm sure it's going to happen. And today, I mean, we are in the sports world. Football is back. And I have to say, we talked about this off air a bunch of times. It feels like the golden month of sports is finally here. It's so fun. It's also so overwhelming. There's so many different things on at once. It's absolutely insane that there's going to be just so many professional sports happening all at once. Yeah, I mean, like, just as of right now, as of, like, we're recording, like, the prior to the start of the NFL season, but you got the NFL season going, you have the baseball stretch run, the Mets are floundering, the Yankees are going down the twos, they still might get in because the 18 playoff. You have the Islanders still alive as of recording, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, although they may not be by the time we get to this recording as, as well. And we have the NBA bubble, we have the golf coming up, we have tennis, it seems like there's everything. It's absolutely crazy, uh, but I do want to give my congratulations to the Islanders. I know that means nothing uh, from me, but I, like, for somebody who followed their entire season from, like, 2011 to 2015, I'm just really happy that they've done so well this season. Yeah, well, we're reco- a little inside podcast here. We're recording on Tuesday, uh, September 8th. They've lost game one to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who knows what it will be like when we get to this podcast gets out about a week from now. Uh, who knows? Hopefully all positive, like, winning vibes towards them right now. <laughs> yeah, if they make the Stanley Cup final, and uh, Pete Constantori will be on the podcast next week, we are going to be talking Stanley Cup final then. Maybe we'll talk about the Islanders. I hope that you guys get to talk about them. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about Holy Moly as well. That's also something that's coming up on the on the podcast <laughs> next week. We're gonna The finale is coming up on Thursday. We're going to talk about that stuff as well. He's going to be pop culture guy next week. Oh man, I'm uh, I'm actually DVR'd that so I can watch it on Friday morning. <laughs> oh, you did pick it up. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen every single episode, but I've seen like a like a handful, and it's just it's funny. I we used to watch in the control room at work. Yeah, it's a, it's so funny because like I used to like that's actually how I picked up like Shark Tank because I used to watch like when I was on a, on ABC way back in the day, interning, it was like first coming out and the sports anchor at the time loved that show. He put it on one of the TVs in the upper corner and like keep an eye on it when, while we were keeping on the other games. Hi, man. I like how other people have opened our eyes towards uh, like the Holy Moly Shark Tank universe there. Yeah. The nice expanded universe. And before we get into the, why you're here, they were doing, which is going to basically be for TV show, it was a lot of times in the fall, they usually have the upfronts that give you an idea of what's coming. That's what we're doing today. We're going to give you the upfront look at what we're going to be doing on pop culture this fall. I want to give you condolences on your Jaguars because I do feel like it's going to be a rough year for you. Yeah, I mean, what's it to be a Jaguars fan, honestly? Uh, it's just a bunch of misery and uh, negativity, but uh, we just try to grin and bear it through the whole entire season and hope for at least 
two wins. And speaking of the Jaguars and former Jaguars, you see what Leonard Fournette said today on Twitter. Uh, actually, I did not. I've been very upset these past uh, this past week after him leaving to go to Tampa Bay. Uh, but please, you can enlighten me, and you'll get my real life in time uh, reaction. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to get to the tweet right here. For those who are unaware, Leonard Fournette, Jaguars running back, fourth pick in the 2017 NFL draft. He got cut prior to the season. He signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's going to compete for time in their backfield along, alongside Ronald Jones and some, other, and some other backs there. And he did an interview today, and this quote comes courtesy of Jenna Lane on ESPN, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers reporter. Leonard Fournette said today, quote, for the first time in my life, I really have a quarterback. Ouch. Shots fired. 100%. But, I mean, honestly, like, how Leonard Fournette's been with the Jaguars um, these past, like, two seasons at least, I feel like, you know, as long as he's happy and he gets to still play football, that's the best hope I can have for him. Yeah, well, now he's got he's got Tom Brady there. We'll see if Tom Brady can get him over the top. But I don't think they play the Jaguars this year, so you don't have to worry about him coming back to haunt the Jaguars. Yeah, they don't play them this year. I already checked. <laughs> at least the one bright side I would say for you Jaguar fans, I feel like you're going to have Tr- Trevor Lawrence at quarterback next year, and he'll make things a lot better. I hope so, but you know me. I'm a big Gardner Minshew fan to, like, to the soul, basically. So, honestly, we'll just see what that train like where that train brings us as Jaguars fans. Yeah, well, Trevor Lawrence, the one thing I, I will say in terms of the pop culture field will get people rooting for him is like he is like the dead ringer for sunshine from uh, Remember the Titans. So that's also mm. a, good, a good omen. That is because who doesn't watch sunshine from Remember the Titans? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Alan Austin from last week's podcast. When we talk about football pop culture, he said Remember the Titans was his all-time go-to football movie. Oh, interesting. It's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, he stole it from me. I was going to take Remember the Titans. I ended up just having to settle for the Hard Knocks uh, season that just aired. The Charger Rams season was very good. I see. That's on my list of things to watch. Yeah. I would say if you watch any of them, watch episode four. That was the episode where they dealt with the aftermath of the sports protests with after the Jacob Blake shooting, we saw the Rams reacting to it. We saw the Chargers reacting to it. We got to go inside the locker rooms when the Chargers had the meetings to cancel the scrimmage. Like, all sorts of great conversations coming out of that episode. Interesting. I'll definitely have that on for, like, top of my list. Indeed. So let's go to the upfront portion here. We're going to talk about some stuff that's going on in the pop culture sphere and what we're going to be covering on the podcast here this fall. I'm going to start out here with number one. Point out that, as I've mentioned with Alan before, if you are a fan of, like, primetime TV, this is not the fall for you because a lot of it is not coming back on time. <laughs> I mean, look, if you look at it, like, some of these networks, I think back in May, you remember this, they said, oh, here we go. We're going to start on time. Here's all our regular shows. But it's not happening. A lot of it is being patched by game shows, which we talked about last time you were on here in reality TV. One of those is Dancing with the Stars. We're not covering that, but worth mentioning that uh, former podcast subject Tiger King is going to be represented by Carol Baskin being on the show. What are your thoughts on this? Oh boy, honestly, was what uh, when you reached out to me off air uh, a couple, two weeks ago, I guess it was. Now I have no concept of time, everyone. Uh, that you're like, yeah, it's rumored that she might be on. And I'm like, no way in heck will they have Carol Baskin on. And then like the thought was planted in my head, I'm like, 
they might do it. And I'm like, still, no, 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 Sam, you're losing your mind. Like, how can you feed into this rumor, rumor mill? And then literally it came out saying she's going to be on it. And I'm like, oh my God, like, regardless, I don't think I'll catch a few episodes here and there, but, um, honestly, I, I just, I'm more speechless than anything else. Yeah. Number one, typical ABC about be about six months late on this thing to get on the Carol Baskin train because I feel like I don't know how much momentum is left from Tiger King at this point. And number two, if there is not a dance involving her doing Eye of the Tiger at some point, I feel like that's a major missed opportunity. Yeah, no, that would be really, really funny. I bet you they're going to use her music. Like, her, you know how she, like, has songs and stuff? Yeah. They'll definitely have that. I will laugh if they make her partner dress up as Joe Exotic. I would die. Oh my god! <laughs> or oh my god, yeah, that'd be really funny. Yeah, it's nice waiting for her to come on the stage and just go, "Hey, you crazy cats and kittens! I'm gonna talk. Or here's what we're gonna do tonight." <laughs> yeah, I just cringed at saying when you said that, so I can't even imagine the reaction I will have when she will, because I know she will. She'll definitely say that on like live air. Over under three weeks, she lasts on the show. You know what? I feel like she's going to take home the whole thing because she's Carol Baskin. She can get away with killing her husband. You know what I mean? She can get away with winning, uh, you know, this show. That's true. The threat of murder might, might appeal to some of these judges. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, we'll put that to the side. We're not doing that. But there are a lot of game shows coming on in the fall. We're going to touch on a couple of them as they come on. I mentioned Pete next week's doing Holy Moly. We wrap the finale up. But one you and I are excited about. Supermarket Sweep on ABC. They recorded all 10 episodes. They are premiering the first episode on October 18th. I believe you and I are going to do the premiere of that of that on the podcast. I'm very excited. Yes, and have you seen any new information about the podcast? I know they put an article out on Entertainment Weekly this week with, like, footage from the show. All I saw was that, like, 30-second tease of Leslie Jones uh, doing Supermarket Sweep, but uh, that was, you know, in itself was awesome. It still had, like, the feelings of the you know, original version. Yeah, I, I saw that. They had the little ding, 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 right from the supermarket suite, like correct answer tone. They had that correct. One thing I was disappointed in, that they got rid of the sweaters that you would wear when you ran around the supermarket at the, at the uh, big sweep. I was disappointed they got rid of those. I mean, I'm sure that's just because it's a 90s thing and it's a little dated. They probably had to revamp some things. I guess the sweater didn't make the cut. The sweater was iconic, though. I guess so. I mean, maybe to you and I, but maybe not to exact, you know? I think, like, I, I, I think with, like, some color of smock they had on, basically, with the colors, like, for, like, one, two, and three, but, like, I think they could have done something cooler. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's just, like, what I guess at one point 90 supermarket employees wore. That's what I think they were going for. I guess uh, they can't wear any Trader Joe's shirts nowadays. Yeah, indeed, and we were speculating on what the prize would be. Princess a hundred thousand dollars. You win if you win the big prize in an episode. I feel like there's going to be some elbows thrown uh, in this version of Supermarket Sweep. I mean, for a hundred grand, if you're if you're fighting over those turkeys, you could definitely see it. Yeah, like everybody was so polite in the '90s, and now it's like 2020. And nobody gives a flying poop, so they're going to be throwing elbows, throwing those beach floaties around, and I guess you saw the grill. Somebody's going to be getting mowed over by that grill that's worth, like, what, $300 if yeah. you're fed? I couldn't believe that. And then I will put the link to this trailer in the in the show notes here. But, like, 
there's one point, and if you've seen the classic show, you know that they'll bring up like the inflatable green giants or like stuff for prizes. When you see the contest, one of the contestants just dragging this fully assembled grill up to the front, I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, though, that was very, very interesting. The woman seemed like she's having a hard time pushing it. Yeah, just to clarify, this is what was going through my mind when I saw that. I, I, that was definitely going through my mind. And Leslie Jones, I did not get to see the full enthusiasm. I'm sure it's there. Oh, yeah. Except for the, at the very, very end. It's like, don't make me cry. Yeah. You had a little bit of a taste of Leslie Jones right there. Yeah, I, I have gotten a bit of Leslie Jones like fever of late. I did Because I did go back and I watched, after Chadwick Boseman passed away, I did watch his appearance on SNL in the Black Jeopardy sketch. And like she was underrated, funny part of that sketch. She's literally very, very funny. I was, I was very sad when she left SNL. Yeah, and once again, as you said a couple times in the podcast over the past month, RIP to Chadwick Boson. Oh, yeah. No, and for all his little hard work and stuff, and I can't believe how much, you know, he went through to produce, like, these monumental films uh, for our lifetime. It's just crazy. It is, it is pretty nuts, but... We'll I literally believe it. Like I was at work and my manager was like, he died. I was like, no, he didn't. Like, there's no way to, um, he died and stuff. And so like, I literally was like, I'm still speechless that, and they're like, he had cancer. And I was like, did they know about it? And they're like, yeah, he knew about it. They, he knew about it for years. And it just like, uh, I have such respect for him. Yeah, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, like this is like I think this came out on the same night that the that the news came out that Steve Cohen was the one who was going to buy the Mets. So like we're sitting there like as Mets fans and me and Martino, Puccio, and Will Schneider and we're celebrating our group chat, and then we see this on Twitter. It's like you just get punched in the gut and it sucks. Yeah, like oh, and then did you see that like video that like came out saying like oh is there going to be a Black Panther two? And he like jokingly said like no, like he'll be dead or something. Yeah. And they're like, that's not funny. Like, you'd be dead. And then he just laughs it off. And I'm just like, that's so, like, you know, haunting. It is very it is very haunting. And we'll get to more haunting in a minute. But I do want to stay on the network train from it. I do I do think it's the interesting with our game show discussion. There's so many of them out now on these channels. I think, like, ABC. I remember in the middle of July, I speculated with Alan on a different segment of the podcast. I said, you know what? Like, they pulled all their summer game shows. And they're probably going to have to use them in the fall. And that's what's happening. I think there's a three-hour block on on. Thursdays, I think, starting a couple of weeks of game shows. Then they have another two. They have that. They have the supermarket sweep and the card sharks coming back, and they have millionaire coming back. Mm -hmm. it's, if you are a game show fan, this is your time. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like I have everything up um, with my notes now, in like October eighteenth. I mean, like America's Funny Home Videos leaves at seven, but a supermarket sweep at eight nine p.m. It's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, followed by card sharks at ten. Like that's an intense block right there. It's like, it's a, and I will admit, I'm a guy who loves to like be exercising with the game shows on in the background. Like, this is like my nirvana with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing I hate is when they put on the, the show, like game shows on Sunday, because like I want to go to bed early because I've worked the next day, but I'm forcing them to stay up to watch them. Well, I just DVR them because usually like, I watch the Sunday night football game and then, uh, and then I go to whatever I want to watch the next day. That's usually how I time shift it. That's good. I just like can't stay away from spoilers. Yeah, well, I, I don't know where you're going to find spoilers on game shows, but. I mean, you know how Facebook tracks all your Google searches. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. The, the uh, cyber stalking Facebook does is definitely a problem. Yeah, so I have to stay off Facebook, which I know is dating myself as a millennial, but here I am. 
yeah, well, I feel like the millennials just have the Facebook just to, you know, like stay in touch with like family members and cousins. They don't really do it to like stay relevant with friends. Yeah, that and watch like some weird videos too. I've seen the like the weirdest stuff and I'm sucked in that like black hole of weird Facebook videos. Yeah, Facebook is now self promotion, weird videos, and I wanna say the third thing is just like absurd amounts of Republican love. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, that doesn't come across my page, but <laughs> I know that it's out there. It comes across mine. Trust me. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna name names. We're going to move on here. And <laughs> I, I will say the reality TV is also a popular thing. If you like Mass Singer, that's going to be back. The Big Brother All-Stars, I might stay away from that one. That's not getting to be very fun. But my favorite show, like, that's not as coming back, Amazing Race. I'm, I want to do this someday. I'm excited that after two years, these poor folks who filmed that season get to actually watch it on the air. See, that's great. But you're missing my favorite reality trashy TV show. What's that? The Bachelorette. What? Coming back. They are back. I heard there's behind-the-scenes drama with that. I'm so excited. It's like my most guilty show that I watched, if I used English correctly for that sentence. It's the guilty but, pleasure. Like, oh my god, it's so guilty. Like I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I watched this, but I can't stop watching. Yeah, I mean, the great John Stang, also a fan of the Bachelor franchise, so I got next time he's on, I'll ask him his take on the Bachelor, right, and what he's looking forward to this season. Oh, you'll have to pass that along for me. Yeah, I'll send you. The, I'll send you the link when he's on. We talk about that. Perfect. Another thing of note in the entertainment sphere the movies are back new york does not have the movie theaters open yet but there are movies coming out tenet is out i do want i do plan on getting to that at some point in the fall once the theaters are open here i can go a drive and check it out because i'm trying to be a socially responsible adult oh no i'm saying that's a good thing being a socially responsible adult more people have to be that way yeah so that's on the list we're gonna get to that eventually Black Widow, I think, is going to be on the list as well, depending on what's go- what Marvel's free strategy is. I suspect that they're going to end up doing that on the Disney Plus like premiere thing and give themselves two shots at the money. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how that goes. Because I feel like I want to see it, but like it's like one where like, I'm not dying to run to the theater and see it. Exactly, I'm the same way. I feel like there's a lot of them that are this way. Is there anything on that, that comes in a theater where like, even in like a normal time, so you can say, ooh, I have to go run and see that. For me, now? Yeah. Probably, cause... like, this season, the only thing I, like, really want to go see in theaters, but, again, because I want to be socially responsible, uh, I might not go see, but I really want to see the Wonder Woman 1984 movie. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that sequel fo- follows, because like, I feel like the whole DC universe has sort of changed in the times since Justice League came out. Exactly, and I'm very, very interested to see how um, Kristen Wiig does. Um, just here, uh, just out of pure curiosity, she's an excellent artist. I just like am very just curious. And then um, there's a movie um, on the rocks with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray that I'm interested in, and then also um, Antebellum, which says it's supposed to be like premiering September 18th, but I never know what's gonna happen with that one. Yeah, I knew you'd be on the Bill Murray movie, so that's not a shock to me. No love for the Bond <laughs> movie. No love for the Bond movie. Oh yeah, true. I always forget about that too. I'm such. I'm like, I try to like, carb like you know. Oh 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 oh. See, this is why I couldn't get to the Bond movie without mentioning the Candyman, which I'm very uh, interested to see as well. To see if that will come out on the 16th. 
yeah, that's all kind of in, mo- in flux right now because who knows what comes out when Christopher Nolan basically just forced Tenet into the theaters to make sure that he could get people back in. And like, from what it sounds like, some other people went, which is nice if you're a theater owner. But like, the thing I don't understand in New York is like, you can go to a casino right now, but you can't go to a movie. Yeah, and then if you, like, for us, we're only, like, 45 minutes away from the Connecticut border, not even, and, like, we can go see a movie there. So, like, it doesn't make any sense. That's the one thing I don't get, because, like, if the tri-state was all in unison about it, you say, okay, I understand it's a regional thing, but, like, if people want to see a movie and they're 45 minutes away from Connecticut, they're going to go to Connecticut, and they're going to take the risk in Connecticut, not going to take the risk in here. So I feel like the safer move would be, you know, let's find a way to come up with a safe standard to do this and not just leave the theater owners like like wallowing and then send all your all the customers out of the state and they can bring the virus back in there if you're concerned about that. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's something that the governor has to decide what he wants to do with that, but we'll leave it there. John Stango and I, I'm going to try and get a hold of him. I want to talk to him about his projections for the fall movies and see which ones he's intrigued by. I know his tastes also tend to differ from ours sometimes. Uh, yeah, we, me and him have very different tastes <laughs> in some aspects. Yeah, recently I actually had him on a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how he grades his movies, and he did have some interesting thoughts on that. Yeah, no, um, I actually took his uh, suggestion in watching The Portrait of a Lady on Fire, if I'm saying that correctly, and it was actually super awesome, and I probably wouldn't have watched it without his recommendation, via Twitter, of course. Yeah, John, Yeah, John. like, when I did him on the podcast, like, he also helped me rearrange my movie queue, and the Ori's put it has been very satisfying. I did watch Joker recently. I just got to that. That's That was a fun take. It came right after, I watched the Apollo 11 documentary. That was also enjoyable. See, I, I have, a, like, a weird vendetta about space movies, but that's, like, a personal thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, the documentary was very cool. I'll give it to, give them this. It was basically, like, found footage that they had of, like, the actual Apollo 11 mission. And they basically, mm-hmm. like, like, up, like, upgraded to 21st century standards and just basically did it, like, like cinema of a right style where there was no narrator. They showed you, like, as it like as it was happening. So it was pretty cool. Oh, that does sound pretty interesting. Yeah, it was a fun, it's a crisp 90 minutes. I'll give it a, I'll give it a watch. All right, 90 minutes. I can, I can do that. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Definitely some eye-popping visuals. Stank, John Stanko on the movies is definitely a target audience thing here for the fall. Another thing here, we're going to go talk a little Netflix. What Netflix stuff are you looking forward to for the fall? Uh, you know me. I'm very excited for The Haunting of Hill House. Well, I guess it's just The Haunting of Black Manor. But the, you know, Haunting series uh, on Netflix, that's what I am super psyched for. And then I'm super psyched for um, Unsolved Mysteries. Part two. The, yeah, like there's part two already. This is great. This is awesome. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get... Not visuals involved, of course, but for my viewership. Yeah. We'll start, we're definitely going to hit on Haunting of Bly Manor. For for the uninitiated, can you explain the premise of the Haunting of Hill House and where the, the original show is based off of? So it's like about a family uh, who moves into this like really expansive like mansion and then like what they... The parents, they like build, they go into houses, fix them up, and then resell them, kind of deal. And then this house is actually haunted and revolves around one single singular room. And then it goes into how the, ha- the house, the individuals inside the house. And it is like so awesome. Um, there's one episode where it's done in like four takes, and each episode is like an hour long. So they're 20 minute takes, uh, just singular takes, which is blowing my mind. It's awesome. But then one of my favorite parts about the series is the different ghosts 
that hide in the background that you don't notice. So it gives you this like subconscious, like somebody's watching you, uh, which is amazing. It's like, it's, it's something that has, wasn't done before, at least to my knowledge, of course. Um, I'm not all knowing. So I'm just very excited to see what they're going to be doing with this season. Yeah, just to be clear to the audience here, The Haunting of Hill House is great. You should watch it, but it is a self-contained story. The Haunting of Bly Matter is like a spiritual sequel where it's a new story. They have new characters, but they are bringing back some of the cast members in the first season. They're going to be playing different characters. I think it's pretty cool. Which is awesome. I hope, um, what's her face? The mom is in it. Uh, crud. I think of her as a spy kid's mom. I'm so horrible. Carla something. I don't know if she's in there. I know that a couple of the, like the, Actors play the adult children are in are in the series at playing different characters. Yes, I'm I'm just still excited. I just love the storytelling that um the like creators uh, brought to the table from the first season. So I'm just really excited what's going to happen. And what yeah. when this is it like if it if, you know premieres in a couple of weeks in October. So yeah, premieres premieres mid October and around Halloween. Keep your ear out for that. Definitely, I won't sleep for days. <laughs> I I probably won't either. And we're also going to talk this this year. We're going to go extensively into The Mandalorian Season 2 on Disney+. Plus. I cannot wait for that. That drops October 30th. Expect plenty of Mandalorian coverage here coming up. Oh, I'm very excited. More Baby Yoda. I know that's not the character's name for all those haters out there. But I love saying Baby Yoda. I'm excited to learn more about The Mandalorian. And I'm just I was I was not expecting it to come the season two to come so quickly. Yeah, I the people don't realize season one was great. Apparently, they actually filmed season two in secret, not telling anybody, and then they had it ready to go, and they're pre-producing season three right now. So they are very all in on the Mandalorian. Their team is so good with secrets, like you know what I mean. Like nothing like leaked out about Baby Yoda. Nothing leaked out about season two, and they yeah they mentioned that season three is being filmed, but like. If nothing leaks out about that, they have some, like, good people working on that show. Yeah, one thing that's underrated about this show is they bring in very talented directors for the sh- for the show. I'm b- I was watching the docuseries about the behind-the-scenes, and the, the Mandalorian, I mean, Fa- John Favreau's the EP on that show, but, like, Dave Filoni, who did the Clone Wars series, like, he's on there. They brought Bryce Dallas Howard in direct episode. Taika Waititi, who I love, directed the finale, and it was great. They have a good yeah. mix of directors coming in again this year. Well, I, you know, you always hope that the second season can follow up to the first. So that's my fingers crossed for that. Yeah. And there are rumors there are some actual, like, vint- like uh, popular Star Wars characters entering the mix. There's rumors that Boba Fett's going to appear. There's a rumor that Ahsoka Tano, Ahsoka Tano from the, I'm probably butchering the name, but from Clone Wars is going to be on the season. Mm-hmm. There's a lot well, of I, good stuff. I feel like Boba Fett is supposed to, like, be in everything. I feel like everyone's, like, Oh yeah, Boba Fett's gonna be in this one, and this one, and this one, and like Boba Fett never is. Yeah, maybe we get a Boba Fett origin a little bit this movie, in this series. So he's one I'm definitely keeping on. We're gonna do, I, I, it might be episode by episode on this thing, but it is gonna be plenty of Mandalorian coming. I'm very excited, and hopefully, I get to be a part of the Mandalorian content. You you will be definitely in the mix for that. John Stanko will probably be in the mix for that. Some other people who I've who I'm not disclosed yet are gonna be in the mix for that. So. Plenty of Mandalorian. We're basically keeping an eye on that. I was like, keep my ear on HBO because HBO is the king of producing original content. One thing I know for sure I'm going to do, I don't know who I'm doing it with yet, is the documentary on Craig Carton and the fall of Craig Carton. That's intrigued coming October 7th. I'm intrigued by that. Oh, that sounds really awesome. 
Yeah, because I'm trying to keep track of what's going on. Next time I talk to John Stanko, I will definitely get his recommendations for HBO content to cover because he also seems to be on the forefront of the HBO stuff. Yeah, he is. And, like, it's funny because I wanted to start Lovecraft Country, like, from the beginning. But, of course, I missed the premiere week. So now I have to wait till it's over to start it because I need to digest things all in full or, like, starting week one. I'm very annoying when it comes to, like, binge-watching things. Um, but I'm so excited to start that series. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things, and John himself has said nothing but good things about Lovecraft Country. And then I took your recommendation, and I watched uh, the documentary McMillions. Yes. How'd you like it? That was awesome. That was really awesome. Yeah, I remember I talked about this with John at the, t- at the time. Like, the crazy thing about that was just, like, the amount of crazy people they found in this thing and actually were going to talk on this documentary were incredible. Right? And also, like, just, like, how he got away with, like, all that stuff. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And then there were some twists and turns, like, the entire time. Like, no way this can be crazy. Like, get even more crazy. But then again, this whole thing was based out of Florida. So, honestly, it's not that big of a surprise, I guess, if you look at it that way. Yes, that is definitely true. Not that big of a surprise, but... Those are some of the things we have going on coming up in the fall ahead of where look, I'm I'm planning hopefully to do the pop culture year in review too with you and John Stanka once again, if you are interested. Oh, 100%. Hopefully this year I will uh, be more equally versed with Stanko. That is my personal goal. Yeah, because we've done this twice before with John. The second time Alan ta- Austin tagged along for the baseball movie draft, but I think this was that was such a hit. We have to try it again. Oh, definitely. I'm very excited. All right. So that's a little teaser of what's coming up in pop culture this way. It may not be every week. Maybe I might take a week off here and there, but these are the things that are in the hopper. And thanks for helping me do the upfront presentation, Sam. We did get that out in the record now, so people have an idea what's coming. Very excited. If people want to follow you on social media, how can they keep up with you? Oh, yeah. You can find me at Twitter at S-B-E-R-O-S. I see this is what my problem is. I can never remember my Twitter handle. Let's talk about it. I'm probably for a social media person at first, um, but I'm on all social media platforms. Literally Google Sandra Rosa. I'm not any kind of verified person. That's the famous singer. Uh, but other than that, I'm always on Twitter where you can follow me. Uh, S-D-R-O-S-5. I'm on Instagram at sderosa175. And then Facebook, nobody wants to see you on Facebook. So that's what I'm <laughs> yeah, let's leave, let's leave the Facebook out of that. Nobody cares on Facebook. Yeah, no, don't look at my old high school photos. I am a, I'm a different color, hair color person. So. <laughs> so the Twitter and the Instagram, that's the place to follow you. Definitely. And I only look, I only view TikTok. I don't have TikTok. All right, so don't try the TikTok either. Yeah, though, I like, I like have that, like, inkling to try it. So who knows? Who knows? Next time you might talk to me, I might have a TikTok. Who knows? We will see. All right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I'm back with my guest, Joe D'Aloisio, for calling in to help recap week number one in the National Football League. A lot of fun stuff there. I want to thank Charlie Borges for hopping on to the NFL picks for week number two. And our pop culture correspondent, Sandra, we just heard talking about our pop culture upfront for the podcast winter season. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including... My thoughts on the ACC's ridiculous idea they should put every team in the NCAA tournament this year. All 350-some-on teams in there. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on all those platforms. Check out all old episodes there. 
including last week. I had a bunch of NFL coverage. I had Mike Sando and Robert Mays, the athletic on. We did a lot of NFL talk there. I also spoke to Jim Schroeder of NFL.com. All those conversations are in the archives. You can check it out on any of those podcast feeds. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations of the episodes are going up there, including my chats with Joe, Charlie, and Sam are all going up on the YouTube channel this week. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help take this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Coming up next week on the podcast, we are going to do Stanley Cup Finals Preview with our hot guy Pete Considori, week three NFL picks, and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Jets fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.